Good morning, church. It is always a pleasure to have you all in the house of God. There are many places you could have been this morning, but you chose to come to New Breed Christian Church. And I want to pray that your presence in this place will not be in vain and that the Lord will richly bless you. Turn your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 46 to 56. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verse 46 to 56. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I want to talk to you this morning on what I captioned, the hope of Christmas. The hope of Christmas. But before we go into this text, to exegize this text, I want to talk to you about the false hope of Christmas. And the false hope of Christmas is the lies that people propagate about Christmas especially the lies about Santa Claus. The reason why this lie continues to exist even till today is that even as parents, we continue to tell our kids a lie that there is somebody called Santa Claus who is coming in the night and will drop gifts, come through the chimney to give gifts to all the children that have been going throughout the year. We paint this picture of a man dressed in a white suit with white beard with a pipe in his mouth riding on a chariot pulled by eight reindeers that knows all where the good kids are. And so kids grow up with this notion, thinking there is somebody out there like Santa Claus. If we are to propagate the celebration of Christ's birth in a way that gives God glory, we have to start by laying the foundational truth that Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. If we have to give God glory and not celebrate this day like the heathens, we have to establish the foundation for this celebration which is based on Jesus and not on Santa Claus. As we go into the text that I just read this morning from Luke chapter 1, uh, the Bible says, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in, in God my Savior. This statement from Mary has a great revelation. The first thing she says is, My soul glorifies the Lord, which means that praise and giving God glory happens in the soul. It has, your mind has to be involved. Your will has to be involved. Your thoughts have to be involved. So we glorify God with our soul. With our soul. We have to have an understanding, a will, 
and a thoughtful process in order to glorify the Lord. That is why the psalmist said, the songwriter said, count your blessings, name them one by one, and you will see what the Lord has done. If we are not grateful, if we are not, if we are not able to reflect on the goodness of God and the things that God has done for us, it is difficult for us to see the goodness of God and give Him glory. That is why when we are praising the Lord, when we are giving God the glory, we don't give God glory by speaking in tongues. We give God glory with our understanding because we are expressing to God how grateful we are, how great He is. And this cannot be done in a language we do not understand because it is your soul that glorifies the Lord. And then, and then she says afterward, it says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So joy is a spiritual virtue and not an emotional manifestation. Joy is constant, but happiness fluctuates with emotions. You know, joy comes as a result of having a relationship with God. Joy is a spiritual deposit in your spirit that causes you to be always in a good mood, even if things are bad, even if things are difficult. That is why you go sometimes to a funeral and you see the person who is bereaved smiling because there is an inner deposit that does not depend on external circumstances to keep them in a good mood. But happiness depends on happenings. We go to catch phone, we go to places, we go to different locations and different events in order to make ourselves happy. And most people are looking for happiness and not trying to rely on the joy that God has deposited in their spirit. This explains why millionaires commit suicide because money cannot give you happiness. It is temporary. But there is something God gives that is called joy. And that joy, even in the midst of trouble, you may have lost your job, but yet you still smile because you know God is on your side. You may be going through difficulties, yet there is still a smile on your face. Everything may, might have been lost, but there is still a smile on your face because joy does not depend on happenings. It is a spiritual deposit. I encourage everyone listening to me today to go for joy. Dig deep into your spirit and let the joy in you manifest. Don't go for happiness because as long as you follow happiness, there are things that will happen in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your joy that will always corrupt your happiness. But nothing can corrupt joy because joy is a spiritual virtue given by God that cannot be corrupted. Hallelujah. And then she says further, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Anytime you make up your mind to serve the Lord, you will always be on God's mind. When the CEO of a company thinks about his employees, he doesn't think about the infrastructures, the buildings, the computers, and the things that he has. He thinks about the people who make up that company. And when God is thinking about the world, when God is thinking about the world, God is thinking about his servants, those who are serving him to make sure that his name is glorified on the surface of the earth. And so when we talk about being a servant of God, you are not a servant of God because you went to the Bible school. You are not a servant of God because you are called a pastor. You are not a servant of God because you preach the gospel. You are a servant of God because you are doing something for God. An usher is a servant of God. A protocol is a servant of God. 
a, 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 somebody leading in the children's ministry is a servant of God. A greeter is a servant of God. A security. Whatever you do in the house of God makes you a servant of God. So when we say we are serving a living God, the question then is this. How are you serving God? Are you serving God by coming to church every Sunday and just sitting down? No. Serving God is what you do for God that makes you a servant of God. And it says that God is thinking about his servants. This makes me so happy because when I say to my wife, for example, I've been thinking about you all day. My wife, is, my wife will be like, oh, because just to know that their husband is thinking about her all day gives her a certain feeling. Now, how does it make you feel when I tell you that God is thinking about you not just all day, but all the time? God thinks about his servants. Tell your neighbor God is thinking about you. God is thinking about you. God is thinking about you. And Mary said from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. There is something that God can do for you that will change your life forever. Your family and generations to come will forever be impacted by what God is doing for you. Because of your relationship with God, your children will be blessed. Your grandchildren will be blessed. Because Mary says, all generations, all generations will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. Because of what Lord has done for you. So your relationship with God is not only bringing blessings to you, but it's bringing blessings to your children. It's bringing blessings, blessings to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You are a seed of blessing. You are a fountain of blessing by virtue of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And she says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but has lifted up the humble. You know, apart from the miracle of conception, there was really nothing more that happened, you know, to Mary. There was really nothing more that happened. But Mary saw one the wonderful things that Jesus was going to accomplish. If you can't see what God is going to do for you, nothing will really happen to you. God is mighty. God is powerful. God is able. God can do exceedingly abundantly. But if you don't see him in the capacity as being able, if you don't see him as being faithful, if you don't see him as being all-powerful, then there is nothing that God can do for you because God depends on your faith in order to have his manifestation or his operations in your life. When the Bible says God created us in his image, the word image is taken from the word imagination. God created us in his imagination. So, one of the things that we have common with God is the ability to have an imagination. Animals cannot imagine it. They cannot imagine the future. So, when we imagine the future, the Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ever ask or imagine. So, our imaginations is a prayer topic. When we imagine the future is a prayer. When we imagine our marriage is a prayer. When we imagine our children is a prayer. When we imagine our business is a prayer. When you imagine that company is a prayer. So God relies 
on an imagination in order to do what he wants to do for us. He measures what he's going to do for us based on an imagination. He says, above what we imagine. So if you imagine nothing, then there is nothing that can be done for you. Imagination is a projection of our faith. We imagine the things that God can do for us. We imagine the things that God can do for our families. God can do for our businesses, for our children. So God gives us imagination so we can walk into the future, see the future, come back and prepare for it. What you picture, you capture. What you desire, you acquire. What you conceive, you receive. So we have to imagine. Don't be stuck. Don't let your circumstances cloud your imagination. Because sometimes based on the difficulties that we experience in life, based on the hardship, based on the troubles that we've experienced, our imaginations are cloud, clouded by these dark images, by sorrow, by tragedy, by problems, by impossibilities. But I came this morning to tell you, imagine the future. Imagine something beautiful. Imagine possibility. Imagine that breakthrough. Imagine that success. Imagine that approval. Imagine that contract. Imagine that house. Imagine and the Lord is going to do exceedingly abundantly above what you imagine. And she says further, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty-handed. This is not talking about physical hunger. This is spiritual hunger. Remember, it is only those who are hungry. It is only those who are hungry that will be satisfied spiritually. The Bible says, Blessed are those who hunger and test after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So you cannot be filled except you are hungry and thirsty. So there are some people in the Lord who hear some spiritual things, but they, are never, they, are, they never desire those things. For example, you hear people talking about speaking in tongues, people talking about the gifts of the Spirit, people talking about the head from God, and we just think that these things are for some people. Until you hunger and thirst after these things, you will never see them. And that is why some people have come to a conclusion that these things are Pentecostal jargons because they have no hunger for these things. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Desire it and the Lord will give it to you. The Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. If you don't desire it, God will never give it to you. Desire that miracle. Desire that spiritual virtue, that spiritual ability and the Lord will give it to you. Ask your neighbor, are you hungry? Ask your neighbor this morning, are you hungry? Are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry for spiritual gifts? Are you hungry for spiritual growth? Are you hungry? And Mary says further, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as his promise. Listen, man can promise and forget. There are people who make all kinds of beautiful promises. They promise you money. They promise you favor. They promise you a job. But the moment you separate from these people, they forget. But I announce to you, God does not forget. God does not forget. The Bible says he has engraved our names in his palms. We are the apple of his eyes. God does not forget. All the prayers you pray as a little girl, as a little boy, God has not forgotten. All the prayers you prayed last year and the previous years, God has not forgotten. All the promise that God made to you, God has not forgotten. So when God writes, when God says a thing, write it down. 
because it will surely come to pass. No matter how long it takes, it will surely come to pass. There's an experience that I always have that they call in French déjà vu. What does that mean? It means you get to a place and it looks like you're in that place for the second time. I don't know if this has happened to anyone before. You get to a place and it looks like this thing is happening to you for the second time. Because God has shown you these things before, maybe in a dream or in a vision, but we don't pay attention. So the moment we get to a place where these things are being fulfilled, it seems to us as if we are there the second time. Because God will always give us flashes of the future in order to prepare for the future. So when God says a thing to you, it will surely come to pass. It may take long. And when it is happening, it is like a deja vu for us. But it is because God had already shown it and it took time to come to pass. God does not forget. When God says it, it will surely come to pass. When the Bible says we should remind God of his promise and his covenant, it is not as to say that we are trying to ignite God's memory to remember the things that he said. It is us applying our faith towards the promises of the Lord. When we, when we quote the word of God, we are not trying to remind God of what he forgot. We are applying our faith. We are standing on the foundation of the word of God in order to ask what we are asking from God. God never forgets. God never forgets. And the Bible says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then he returned home. The environment of the baby's development was very important. You know, Mary needed to be in a faith-filled foundation, in a place where her baby, her faith could be boosted to nurture the miracle, the conception, the immaculate conception that she had received through the angel Gabriel. May I say to you that uh, when you conceive anything from God, whether it's a dream or a vision or anything the Lord has said to you, you need to be mindful of the environment where you expose this thing. Think about Joseph in the Bible. He had all these dreams that the Lord gave to him. But he went to a wrong audience, even though it worked out for his good. But if not for the divine intervention to remove Joseph from the hands of his brothers, he would have been killed because he exposed his vision to the wrong people in the wrong environment. Whenever you conceive something heavy from God, you need to go to some faith-filled people. You need to go to a company of believers where your faith can be nurtured. Maybe you have an idea about a business. You have an idea about a ministry. You have an idea about something great you want to do. You don't want to go to people who don't believe. You need to go to people who can believe in what you're saying. Pray about what you're saying and trust God with you that what you have seen will surely come to pass. That is why the moment Mary received this revelation from Gabriel, she ran immediately to Elizabeth because she needed to have a prayer partner. She needed to have a companion of faith that could help her nurture the miracle that she had received from the Lord. From a human viewpoint, Mary was in a hopeless condition. She was poor. Can you imagine? She was pregnant during her engagement. They are preparing for their wedding about to set things up rolling so that their wedding could come up. Now Mary is pregnant. The worst case about it is that she can't explain who got her pregnant. How do you go to tell your people that I was impregnated by the Spirit? This has never happened before. It was an abomination, a disgrace to Mary, according to human understanding. She didn't know how her relationship with Joseph was going to end. If you read the Bible, the Bible says that 
Joseph was planning to put Mary away secretly. So her relationship with Joseph was going to end because of this pregnancy. She didn't know how she was going to take care of her baby as a single mom. You know, how was she to raise this child all by herself? She was in a hopeless condition. But in the middle of this hopelessness, Mary saw something that is a hope that we can see as the hope of Christmas. In her expressions, in a song that she sang when she met Elizabeth, this song conveys contrary to what people would think about her pregnancy. Mary saw something beyond the hopelessness. She saw something beyond being a single mom. She saw something beyond being a poor, being heartbroken by her fiancé leaving her. She saw hope towards the future. The first thing we see, which is a hope of Christmas, is that there is hope for the hopeless. Mary said, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. Now, the word humble state is not referring to being humble as you know in English. Like when they say a man is humble. No, another version will say lowly state. In other words, Mary was poor. She was in the, among the, poors, the poor of the poor. But she expresses herself saying, So God came even to this poor state, in this lowly state of mind, and remember me, decided to make me the mother of the Messiah. So there is hope for the hopeless. While many were, while many were on the disgrace of being pregnant out of marriage, while many focus on the fact that she broke her engagement to Joseph, while many think about her as a teenager being pregnant, Mary saw hope from the Lord. She saw the privilege to be the mother of the Messiah. I don't know what hopeless condition you are experiencing today. I came to announce to you there is hope for the hopeless. There is no condition that God cannot change. There is no situation that God cannot turn around. There is no yoke that God cannot break. There is nothing impossible. The Bible says, is anything too hard for God to do? I came to announce to you this morning, whatever situation that you're experiencing in your family, in your marriage, in your job, in your career, in your health, in your business, I came to tell you this morning, there is hope for the hopeless. Even when the doctors say it is a terminal disease, it is not over until God says it is over because there is always hope for the hopeless. Based on human selection, Mary would have never been the mother of the Messiah because she would not have met the criteria of man in order for her to qualify to be the mother of the Messiah. But listen to me, the way God sees is not the way man sees. God sees beyond the physical. God sees beyond the natural. Don't allow your natural circumstances, your background, your conditions, the things you've experienced in the past to make you disqualify yourself for the good things that God wants to do for you. There is hope for the hopeless. There is hope for the hopeless. God can change your life. God can turn that situation around in the name of Jesus. If God took Mary from this lowly state, from this hopelessness, and make her a generational blessing, and make her the mother of the Messiah, God can use you to do anything. There is hope for the hopeless. I said there is hope for the hopeless. There is hope for the hopeless. Number two, but before then, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says, For the mystery that has been kept hidden 
for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you have Christ in you, there is hope for glory. The Bible says this mystery was hidden for ages, but now is revealed to God's people. So, the coming of Jesus in the world was not just about Christmas as we celebrate today. It was a sign of hopeless of hope for the hopeless. It was the beginning of a new era for possibilities, for hope, for those who were hopeless. If you receive Jesus in your life, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. Hallelujah. There is hope for you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Things can change a life. Things can change, turn around. There is hope for you in the future. The second thing that reveals the hope of Christmas is a generational blessing. Generational blessings. May they say, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. She didn't say, from now on, I'm going to have a child, a wonderful child. She saw past her generation and said, generations are going to call me blessed you know one of the things that we we've experienced as people especially those of us who come from idol worship backgrounds is generational curses there are things you suffer because of what your ancestors did your great-grandfather did something that your grandfather suffered and your grandfather did something that your father suffered and now you may be suffering the consequences of, of some things that was done by your ancestors but I bring good news to you this morning. When Jesus stepped into the scene, Jesus stopped the flow of those ancestral curses running down from your grandfather to your father to you. Now, Jesus took your place. That is what the Apostle Paul says. The life that I live, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me and gave himself for me. So, the blessings that you receive are no longer a, a, a function of your connection, your DNA connection to your father and your grandfather or your mother and your grandmother. The blessings that we receive now is based on a relationship on a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus has taken your place and therefore if Jesus has taken your place, nothing can flow down from your father to your grandfather into you or to your children. That, that, that river of curses has been intercepted by Jesus in your life. Because now your life has been taken over by Jesus. That is why your children are blessed. Your grandchildren are blessed. Your great-grandchildren will be blessed. Because the blessings are no longer flowing from your ancestral lineage. They are flowing now from Jesus. They are flowing based on your relationship with Jesus. The moment we receive Jesus in our lives, it makes ancestral cases illegal. Because Jesus has taken our place. Hallelujah. Generational blessings generational blessings listen the bible says in exodus chapter 20 verse 5 it says you shall not bow down to them or worship them for i the lord god am a jealous god punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate him to those who hate him what does that mean we who have loved the lord that generational curses, that generational punishment stops because we love the Lord. 
and therefore our children will benefit from these blessings. All the curses from our ancestors comes to an end with the coming of Christ. All the ancestral pronouncements, ancestral curses, those things your family experienced. Maybe you come from a family where people don't give birth to children. People don't get married. People die early. People are sick with a common disease. They tell you that high blood is in your family. Diabetes is in your family. There's hypertension in your family. There's all kinds of sickness threats running down in your family. I came to announce to you, when Jesus took your place, he took your place to end all those ancestral cases, all those ancestral uh, misfortunes running down your lineage. Everything comes to an end with the coming of Jesus Christ. He says to them that love him, all these punishments are not possible. That is what we are blessed. Our children are blessed and those after us will be blessed. Because now we are releasing down our genealogy, the blessings of Jesus Christ and not the curses of our ancestors. Hallelujah. What a privilege to belong to Jesus. What a privilege to have a relationship with Jesus. And lastly, the fulfillment of divine promises. The fulfillment of divine promises. She says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Everything that God promised in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. The birth of Jesus was an introduction of a new era, the season of possibilities. The season of possibilities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Although so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Listen, every promise that God ever made, they are yes in Jesus. So when we receive Jesus in our lives, we did not just receive a man or a spirit. We receive all the promises in the Bible put together. We receive a package with the signature of God's promises being fulfilled in one event. What a glorious thing to receive Jesus in your life. Every promise that you can imagine in the Bible, every promise that was spoken in the Bible, the Bible said they are yes in Jesus. They were not possible until Jesus came. Until Jesus came, it was a dream. But after Jesus entered the world, it became a reality. So we can stand today and say amen to all those promises. You shall be the head and not the tail. Amen. Whatever you do shall prosper. Amen. You are like a tree planted by the riverside that bears fruit in season and out of season. We can say amen because the Bible says that all those things that God promised, they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are yes in Jesus Christ. They are possible in Jesus Christ. This is the realm in which we live now. Christmas reveals to us the fulfillment of all divine promises. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, Unto us a child is born. This was a promise. This was a prophecy. But when Jesus came, it was actually the fulfillment of that promise. So if you have Jesus in your life, you've entered into a realm of possibilities. All those things that we used to read in the Old Testament that was like stories. Now we've entered into the reality of those things because those things were spoken about Jesus. That is why when Jesus was on the earth and he was harvesting uh, 
grain with his disciples. He was harvesting grain with his disciples. And the Pharisees were upset because they said, Why are you breaking the law of the Sabbath? And Jesus said, The Son of Man is the law of the Sabbath. They did not understand that the Sabbath day, which was spoken in the Old Testament, was a picture of Christ. Because Jesus said, Come to me, all he who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the one day rest that was decreed in the Old Testament was a prophecy of the spiritual rest that we will receive in Jesus Christ. So our rest is not on a day. Our rest is in Jesus Christ. That is why as Christians, we don't have a day called Sabbath because Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is the fulfillment of that Sabbath. Hallelujah. Christ is the fulfillment of that Sabbath. The moment to give your life to Christ and Christ took over your life. All those promises in the Old Testament were fulfilled. So all we are waiting for those for now is the manifestation of those promises because those promises, like the Bible says, they are yes in Jesus. Hallelujah. This is the hope of Christmas. Whatever God promised, I came to announce to you it is possible. Whatever you read in the Old Testament concerning you, it is possible. Whatever you imagine reading the Bible in the Old Testament, now it is possible because Christ came as a fulfillment to all divine promises. As we approach Christmas this season, let's not be carried by all these pagan practices. Let's use this season to spread the hope that we have in Christ to our friends, to our relatives, to our colleagues, to our neighbors. If Christ is not glorified during this season, then we have no reason to celebrate Christmas. Let's glorify the name of the Lord in this season. Next Sunday is the 22nd, three days to Christmas. Let's use this Sunday to invite as many people as we can to the house of God so we can introduce them to the hope that we have in Christ. Hallelujah. Let us pray this morning. I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what God has spoken to you, but there is surely something that God has spoken to you that you can thank him for. Give him glory. Give him praise. Father, we bless you this morning. We give you praise. We give you glory for the hope that you're giving to us by coming into the world. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We give you all the praise, my Father. And this morning I pray for your people. Anyone here today, in any hopeless condition, I command a turnaround. I command a turnaround. In the name of Jesus, I command a turnaround. By virtue of the birth of Jesus, by virtue of the Christ that we have today, my God, if there is anyone under the sound of my voice, under, on, under any ancestral curse, under any ancestral influence, affecting their lives negatively, I break that curse in the name of Jesus. I break that curse in the name of Jesus. I break that curse in the name of Jesus. From now on, by Christ who lives in us, I command a glorious life. I command a blessing. A generational blessing, a generational blessing, all those things you you, you influence, you expect, that you experience as a result of your ancestors' malpractices. It ends today in the name of Jesus. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Rock of Ages. Be glorified, be magnified in the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. 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 